Welcome Hills family and our online Hills community. Uh, we're in a series titled Home is Coming. We're exploring what Scripture has to say about heaven. And last week I gave a teaching that got a lot of feedback. I think it created for some what I might call future shock. Because last week I pointed out the phrase, go to heaven, is not in the Bible. That the Scripture doesn't talk so much about heaven waiting our arrival, but us awaiting the arrival of heaven. That heaven is coming to us. And, and to illustrate how uncomfortable or how unusual that thought is to some, let me tell a story about this couple. Now, they're 85 years old, married over 60 years, great health, but they die in a car wreck. They go to heaven, and Peter gives them a tour. He shows them a gorgeous new home with a great master suite, even a jacuzzi. But the man says, how much is this going to cost? And Peter says, it's free. You're in heaven. Out back is a beautiful golf course, and Peter says, this is where you'll play, and every day it changes to a brand new beautiful course. What are the green fees? You don't get it. It's heaven. It's free. He takes him to the clubhouse. This is where you'll have most of your meals, and it is all kinds of delicious food spread out. What will this cost? Again, it's free. It's heaven. The old man says, yeah, but where are the low-fat, low-cholesterol tables? And again, Peter says, you don't get it. You can eat anything you want. You never gain weight. You're in heaven. At this, the old man gets furious. He vents his anger. He takes his hat off. He starts to stomp. His wife says, honey, what's the matter? He looks at her and says, this is your fault. If it wasn't for those blasted kale salads, I could have been here 10 years ago. Okay, now you knew that was a joke even before I got to the punchline, didn't you? Now, why is that? Why is it when we hear references to homes and food and work and play, we know it must be a joke? You see, we said last time that for 2,000 years, influenced not by Scripture, but by Greek philosophy, we have divorced the celestial from the physical. That what we believe in is an afterlife, but not so much a resurrection. That for most people, heaven is this misty fog bank with spirits just kind of floating around. It's fluffy clouds and chamber music and endless church. Okay, what I'm suggesting is heaven is the real deal. Now, what I want to try to establish in this teaching today is just how real heaven is going to be. Why does this view of heaven as some nebulous, immaterial realm of spirits exist? Well, this deception, like all deceptions, finds its ultimate root in the father of lies. You see, Satan loves to slander three realities. God's person, God's people, and God's place. He slanders God's person. Genesis chapter 3. Did God really say, oh, you won't die? He challenges the idea that God is good and God is trustworthy. He slanders God's people. He tells us that we're not lovable, we're not valuable, we're not healable, that we're going to stay broken and in bondage. He challenges God's person is God's people and he slanders God's place that it's not substantial it's not tangible it's not real that the world that we have now and the life we have now is more real than what's coming why does Satan hate heaven so much 
I got two thoughts. One is he hates heaven because he's been kicked out. <laughs> he's been permanently evicted from heaven and he has no future there. But the other reason he hates heaven is because the enemy hates anything that is good. Now, let's go back to the very first time the word good shows up in the Bible. It's in Genesis 1, and God is creating the material world. And God keeps saying it is good. You see, the Bible condemns materialism. It does not condemn the material world. And that's an important distinction. What the Bible condemns is any time we take the created and make it above or more important than the Creator. Materialism is wrong, but the material reality that God made is good. And this is what God has always wanted in Genesis 1, to live on a good, curse-free earth with His children. And God is going to have what God wants, that our future is for real. Let me unpack that. See, our home is a real place. You see, uh, one of the ways that our current worldview tends to affect the way we read Scripture is we get these pictures of heaven that we immediately try to spiritualize. We make them figurative. And yet, when the Bible talks about heaven, it consistently speaks in terms of structures and dimensions and rooms and scenery. Heaven is often described as a city or as a garden or as a garden in a city. Let me show you some of those verses in Hebrews 11. It says of the faithful, they're looking for a better place, a heavenly homeland. And that is why God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Two chapters later, the same author says, for here, we do not have an enduring city, but we're looking for the city that is to come. And what is that city? John got a vision in his revelation. He says that he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. And so we have this consistent picture in heaven in Scripture, that heaven is a place. It is a city that is coming. By the way, do you know this is a, that's what Jesus is up to right now? That Jesus is not up in heaven retired. He is restoring. Look what he told his disciples the night before he died. There's more than enough room in my Father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? You see, Jesus isn't just preparing a people for a place. He's preparing a place for a people. You see, the purposes of God in Christ are so much more than just the redemption of souls. That Jesus on the cross gained a victory that did more than just redeem our spirits. He is going to redeem everything that sin has polluted Everything the curse has affected, there will not be one single atom of God's creation that Satan will be able to say, well, at least I claimed that, at least I polluted that, at least I won that. No, Jesus' victory on the cross is going to redeem everything. Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 8. The creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. So Creation is looking forward to this, that the future of the universe walked out of the tomb that first Easter morning. 
Our hope is not just for an afterlife. Our hope is for a real place. Our hope is for a new earth. Our hope is for resurrection. See, our home is a real place. And in that real place, we are going to have real bodies. You see, our hope is not some disembodied bliss where we're just floating around in the fog. Our hope is restored physical existence. See, I think sometimes we think that God made spirits and then put them in a body. No, go back and read Genesis 1. God made a body and then he put a spirit in it. Our hope is not to be delivered from our bodies. Our hope is to be delivered into our new bodies. My hope is not Lazarus' hope. Lazarus didn't experience resurrection in John 11. Lazarus experienced resuscitation. He came back in his old body. Now imagine that. I was dead and you're telling me I got to go die again? You talk about your ultimate bummer. My hope is not resuscitation like Lazarus. My hope is resurrection like Jesus. I hope for a new body. Paul talks about this in Romans 8 again. And we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us, as a foretaste of future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as His adopted children, including the new bodies He has promised us. And then in Philippians chapter 3, Paul says, But we're citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, and we're eagerly waiting for Him to return as our Savior. What's going to happen when He comes back? He will take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like His own, using the same power with which He will bring everything under His control. You, you might want to go later today and read 1 Corinthians 15, where Paul says a lot about the resurrection. And he says there that what is buried as perishable is going to be raised as imperishable. And the metaphor he uses is of a seed. Now, some of you garden and, you know, you put a seed in the ground. You bury that seed and a sprout comes up and it's the same. And yet it is so gloriously different. That's what it's going to be. I heard of a, fun- a preacher doing a funeral. He looked down at the body in the casket. He said to the crowd, now, all we have here is the shell. The nut is gone. Okay. Well, okay. So we're going to put the shell in the ground. But it's going to come up. And it's going to be so gloriously different. Same, but new. Look at how Paul talks about this. Because, by the way, this should give us hope when we get tired. This should give us hope when we get weary. This should give us hope when our bodies begin to betray us. Look what he says. We grow weary in our present bodies, and we long to put on our heavenly bodies like new clothing. For we will put on heavenly bodies. We will not be spirits without bodies. While we live in these earthly bodies... We groan and sigh, but it's not that we want to die and get rid of these bodies that clothe us. Rather, we want to put on our new bodies so that these dying bodies will be swallowed up by life. God himself has prepared us for this, and as a guarantee, he's given us his Holy Spirit. So listen, Christian, you're feeling a little tired right now. You're feeling a little exhausted But your Holy Spirit from God is speaking to your heart, speaking to your spirit, reminding you of your future so that you can stay strong and 
courageous. And by the way, I think this is one reason why God sometimes grants miraculous physical healings to our current bodies, our current cursed bodies. We know of these stories. We've seen them here in our own church where people are miraculously healed. And what is God doing? He's giving us a glimpse of coming attractions. God is giving us a reminder that He has the power to completely redeem what the curse has done, that He is Lord over death and over decay. God purchased your body with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And what God owns, God intends to keep forever. So we're going to a real place, and we're going to have real bodies, and we're going to need them because, let me tell you something, we're going to be real active. There's going to be a lot for us to do in heaven. Think about it, back to Genesis and Adam and Eve. Did they just sit around the garden all day playing harp? No. And we're not going to do the same in the new earth. Now, we are going to worship. It's not going to be one constant church service, but let me tell you something. We are going to have some awesome worship time in heaven isn't it true that often today you feel like you're holding back in worship you never really completely let go what's it going to be like finally when we worship god without any limits and any fears and any hang-ups and any barriers think about it we are going to worship like we've always wanted we're going to hear angels sing you think that might be pretty cool we're going to experience multicultural worship as all the cultures that have ever existed bring their praise and glory to God. And we're going to be constantly writing new praise music because here's the thing. God is never going to cease to be fascinating to us. So worship in the new earth is going to be awesome. But that's not all we're going to do in the new earth. We're going to be ever expanding in our understanding and our knowledge. That's right. We're going to learn in the new earth. I hear people say a lot of times, well, when I get to heaven, I'll just understand everything. I'm not so sure about that. Uh, think about the angels. Now, they're flawless. And yet Scripture is clear that many times the angels will say, well, I didn't see that coming. I didn't know about that. You can be flawless. That doesn't mean you're omniscient. Only God knows all. In heaven, we're going to be constantly growing in our understanding of God. There's this really interesting verse in Ephesians chapter 2. Paul says, So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of His grace and kindness. I'm not completely sure everything he's implying by that, but it seems to me that for all eternity, we're going to be exploring and growing deeper into our understanding of the grace of God. Of God, and that's never going to get boring. And so it's going to be a place of worship and a place of learning. But we're not just going to be in school, we're going to have to go to work. Because reigning is the family business, and it says that we're going to reign with Christ. And when Jesus returns, we're going to get our old job back. And you know what our old job was? Dominion. We were created to have dominion over God's creation. A lot of us think of work as toilsome, work as burdensome. We were made for work. And when we get to the new earth and we get our jobs without sin and without a curse, we are going to love our work. Some of us are going to make great art. We're going to write great music. We're going to prepare great food. We're going to take care of the animals and some of us are going to be in management because that's what Jesus said in a number of his parables. For example, Matthew 25. Well done, good and faithful servant. 
You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Uh, Jesus said several times in the Gospels that in the coming age, people are going to receive levels of responsibility. It's not going to create tension, no, because there's not going to be any ego. There's not going to be any pretense. There's not going to be any insecurity. We're all going to celebrate what each gets to do to serve our Lord Jesus. And by the way, that just reminds me, the fellowship in heaven is going to be amazing. <laughs> and there's not going to be any social distancing, okay? We are going to eat, and we're going to laugh, and we're going to dance, and we're going to work, and we're going to play in a real place with real bodies serving a real Jesus. And this is very important. That the foundation of the Christian faith is the bodily resurrection of Jesus. Paul says, if that's not true, our whole faith crumbles. We don't celebrate the return of a spirit. Our future is with the visible, tangible, bodily Lord Jesus. Jesus, uh, after his resurrection in Luke 24, was talking to some disciples. And he said to them, look at my hands. Look at my feet. You can see that it's really me. Touch me and make sure that I'm not a ghost. Because ghosts don't have bodies as you see that I do. Remember when Jesus was ascended, there was an angel there that spoke to the disciples and said to them, Now, just as you saw him leave, you are going to see him come back. Imagine this, what I'm saying. that Here is God choosing to stay in eternity in the flesh so that we can have that kind of fellowship with Him. Because here's the thing. That's always been God's plan. I know a lot of people think that the goal of everything God is up to is salvation. No. Salvation has never been God's primary goal. Salvation is the means to the end. It's the means to God's goal of fellowship. We had to be redeemed and we had to be saved so that we could enjoy intense, intimate, eternal fellowship with God that's what he's always wanted go back to Genesis 1 he wants to live in intimacy on a curse-free earth with his children look again at Revelation 21 I heard a loud shout from the throne saying look God's home is now among his people he will live with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them we are looking forward to a place and to a people and most of all to a person. And I don't think we're going to have to wait long to meet him. I know the jokes always have Peter at the gate. Honestly, I think the first person we're going to see is Jesus. Uh, one of my favorite sports pictures is this one. Now, I'm not much into cross-country skiing, but this is a picture of one of the greatest cross-country skiers who's ever lived. His name is Bjorn Dahle. He's from Norway. He won six gold medals. He had just won the gold in the 10,000-kilometer uh, cross-country ski event in the Winter Olympics. But that's not why I love the picture. This man is Philip Boyd, his first Olympic. He's from Kenya, and two years earlier, he had never even seen snow. But he was trained by a Finnish coach to do cross-country. He earned enough points to go to the Olympics. He was in the same race. He finished 30 minutes behind Dolly. Most of the people had left, uh, but Dolly stayed. He stayed at the finish line 
to say well done to the man in the tough race that didn't quit. Folks, I think that's going to be our first image in heaven. That the one who ran the perfect race is going to be there at the finish line to say to all who come after him, you didn't quit, you hung in there. Well done. We are headed to a real place. We're going to have real bodies. We're going to do real cool stuff. We're going to serve a real Jesus. And by the way, it's important to know that he's going to reward what's real. And I want to land the plane with this huge idea that heaven is going to be a place of reward. Now, heaven is not a reward. Heaven is a gift. It is the gracious gift of God to those who have been cleansed by Christ's blood. But in heaven, there's going to be rewards. Let me unpack that. So uh, I heard about an economics professor that gave a unique test. He gave his class a choice of three tests they could take. One had hard questions worth 50 points apiece. One had medium questions worth 40 points. And one had easy questions worth 30 points. They could pick whatever test they want and take it. So they picked their test. When they came back to get their grades, everyone that picked the hard questions got an A. Everyone who picked the immediate questions questions got a B and those who picked the easy questions got a C it didn't matter what the answers were and he explained it this way he said I wasn't testing your knowledge I was testing your aim now in the scripture there's this constant teaching that in the next world there's going to be a judgment day it is not the judgment for your sins Christ paid for your sins at the cross your sins have already been judged for all of us that have been washed in the blood of christ the judgment that waits us is the judgment of our aim what did we spend our life pursuing the scripture says in ephesians 6 8 remember that the lord will reward each one of us for the good we do now we have to be careful here because what the world that we now live in rewards is not going to be what the world were made for rewards. We're not going to get rewarded because we made a ton of money, lived in a big house, or drove a cool car. We're not going to get rewarded because we have a lot of degrees, won a lot of prizes, or got a lot of uh, trophies and a lot of honors. In fact, Jesus said, you know, in the age to come, the person that's often called the least is going to be called up to the head of the table. The last is going to be first. Because what Jesus is going to notice are the very things that hardly ever get noticed in this current world. He's going to notice the people that we fed, the people that we encouraged. He's going to notice the folks that stood for justice. He's going to notice the folks that stood against sin and pursued holiness. That's what's going to get rewarded. In fact, Jesus said, if you give so much as a cup of cold water to someone because you love me, you will get a reward. And so our challenge is to make intentional choices right now in this life to invest in what Jesus thinks is real important. Because a lot of what the world is calling important is actually pretty fake and is not going to last let me show you one more picture. You notice I like sports metaphors. So all you Nebraska Cornhusker fans are going to love this. This is Tom Osborne, one of the great college football coaches of all time. 
Now, the current coach at Nebraska is a guy named Scott Frost. He played for Tom Osborne in the late 90s, and he tells a great story about his coach. So they're in a typical film session. They do this uh, for hours and hours and hours ad nauseum. He said it's hard sometimes just to stay awake as they run over the same play over and over and over. What's your assignment? What's your task? And they're in one of these film sessions, and everyone's just trying to stay awake. When Coach Osborne, who was always teaching life lessons, stopped and said, Hey, everyone write down right now the name of the person you would trade places with if you could for just one day. So they did. Well, he went on with film session. Ten minutes later, he stopped and said, hey, I want to hear, who did you, who'd you write down? And it's what you would expect a bunch of 18 to 21-year-old boys to write down. Uh, rap stars, uh, Michael Jordan, Hugh Hefner, everyone laughed. Coach went back, did some more film work. Then he stopped, hey, everybody, I want you to write down the name of the person you most respect in life. Went back to film. Coach came back a few minutes later. Hey, I want to hear who you wrote down. It'd be what you expect. Their mother, their father, their pastor, Abraham Lincoln, Martin Luther King. And Coach says, why did you write down their names? And almost always, well, because they sacrificed, because they cared for someone besides themselves, because they gave themselves for the sake of others. Coach said, okay, went back to film. And then before the whole session was over, he stopped and said, Men, I want to know why you want to trade places with people and you didn't pick the people you respect most in life. What is your life about? Is it really about becoming the person you really respect or is it about becoming the person that just has a little more stuff? Now that's a life coach. He was testing their aim. See, here's the thing. Life is going to constantly try to seduce you to spend your energy and your affection and your time on that which is eternally insignificant and trivial. And so my word to you, don't make the fake the point of your life. Seek first the kingdom of God. Because Jesus is going to decide what's real. You were made for a place, a people, and a person. And your future is with God. For real. Hey, pray with me. So, Father, I pray that this teaching will bear fruit that what we believe is coming will impact how we're living right now. That you would give all of us insight from your Holy Spirit on how we can walk in wisdom and how we can make those daily choices to invest in the eternal over the external, the treasure over the trivial. Because what we want in our best moments is to hear Jesus say, Well done. Love your aim. And so, God, give us this kind of wisdom. Increase our hope. Thank you for what's coming. In Jesus' name, amen.